We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the ratings and reviews. I really appreciate them. I read them all. It makes me feel really good that you guys are really enjoying the show. Now, on to my guests for today, Greg Demetrio. Founder of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an integrated marketing company that's been around since 1992. Greg's career in marketing began after he retired from the New York City Police Force and went into the direct mail business with his brother. The death of his brother and a divorce drove him out of that business. After a few different jobs, he bought himself a job. He found a direct mail company up for sale and started Lorraine Gregory. Greg's company has survived a recession, the tech boom, and COVID. Around 2010, he realized that in order to survive, he needed to evolve. While it took some upfront investing, he's grown into a full-service integrated marketing solutions provider, offering not only direct sales, but also marketing services. In 2017, Greg started interviewing CEOs and sharing what he learned online. This evolved into the Ask a CEO show. Talking to CEOs is his passion. The one thing that he hears over and over again is the importance of creating a strong, positive work culture. Now, let's get better together. Greg Demetrio. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, I am excited, actually. And I say that a lot because I'm, I'm usually an excitable kind of person. But we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording and just reading through your, your history and your, what you've been doing. And you know, I found out you had COVID, which is 
wow, like just a crazy thing. Um, and, and all your experience, you know, at uh, Lorraine Gregory Communications and what you're doing, um, I get to talk shop. You said you're doing a PR marketing piece. I'm going to pick his brand. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because uh, it's so funny. You and I sort of have a similar kind of philosophy, even though we're, you're a little older than I am, but you don't look it. (laughs) Well, the key to that is a little formaldehyde every single morning with a shot glass. You're good. You'll last forever. Yeah, it's probably why you got over COVID. <laughs> but uh, what's what's really cool, right, is that you know you actually were a New York City police detective before you got into doing these communications and you know your business. So love, I uh, totally want to unpack all that because I think it's super fascinating. But kind of before we get started on that, why don't you uh, tell everyone how you got to do what you're doing today? Well, which chapter shall we talk about? The first chapter, second, third, or fourth? Because I think I've had that many different lives. Wow. Um, But the interesting reason that we wind up here today in Lorraine Gregory Communications, which is an integrated marketing company, is I'll I'll give you the short version. I was retired from the police department. I was living about 250 miles upstate New York by Lake George. My brother was a corporate VP at the old Payne Weber Security House. Remember them? He was a corporate VP, ran a division of 600 people. He calls me up and says, I want you to come down here and I want you to run this division of my company. What company? You work for Payne Weber? No, not anymore. I said, well, really, you know, you must be lost your mind, right? So he tells me what we're going to be doing. What are we going to do, Bob? He says, well, we're going to do proxy mail and we're going to stuff the envelopes. I said, well, now I really know you were out of your freaking mind. So, okay. So he's my best friend in life, my brother. So I start traveling down on Monday morning, 250 miles to Queens, where we had a 10,000 square foot warehouse and no people. And the very next day we had to do proxy mail for Payne Weber. The interesting part of that equation was the mailing labels were on heat sensitive paper. So I had a hundred temps with craft irons and scissors cutting the labels off and ironing onto the mailing material. Fast forward to the next year, I had 132 real employees and all the necessary equipment, and we were doing 50 to 70 million of uh, Payne Weber proxy mail every year. So when my brother passed very suddenly, his partners closed the business, which was really a a tragedy because it was overnight, it became a $5 million business. And this is back in the late 80s. But they were not Wall Street people. He was the Wall Street guy, knew everybody on Wall Street. And... uh, they folded their tent because they knew they couldn't talk the talk. They, they, they could probably try to talk the talk, but they couldn't walk the walk. So here I am in the middle of a divorce. I'm back on Long Island and my brother passes away. Hated his partners. They were just evil people. So six months later, we get fired and uh, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing, all little jobs because I have an apartment now. I got to pay the rent that the, The pension check goes upstate to the kids and the ex-wife. So I'm like floundering around and I go like, what the hell? I was a night watchman for a while. I I did weird stuff just to pay the bills. And uh, then I saw an ad in the Times, said direct mail company for sale. I said, oh, I know how to do that. 
So we went and met with the owner, and sure enough, he had built this little storefront business. He had it for 27 years, wow. and he was tired of doing it. Wow. So what did I do? I bought a job because I yeah. needed a job, right? Uh-huh. So I bought a job. So here I am in these two little storefronts with three little old ladies in the back room labeling and stuffing envelopes and one driver. No fax machine, no computer. But I had a job. So fast forward, that's 1992. So fast forward to today. And we're in 25,000 square feet. We're a full integrated marketing company. We have a huge print and mail factory in the back of the house and agency in the front of the house. And that's it for today. <laughs> it's been a hell of a ride, Jar. I got to tell yeah. you, I would wow. not have missed. I would not have missed a piece of it for the world. We've wow. probably changed our business persona several times wow. to keep up with our growth. Uh, we just went through a rebranding uh, because my new business development guy came into me when he first came on board, and we had a really kind of bright looking logo and corporate persona was like two interlocking thought bubbles that were green and red, like Christmas colors. And he said, Greg, I'm pitching bigger companies. I can't go in there with Christmas colors. So, all right. So we started to think about rebranding. And what happened was COVID hit. Mm. It took us a year to do the rebranding. And we just finally launched it this past March. Wow. So our branding now mirrors the type of custom, customers and clients we go after. We've been doing a lot of company work for pro- public companies, security, uh, corporate communications, major hospitals, major universities. So our persona now, our business persona matches the audience that we're going after. Which is really important to know who you need to talk to when you're talking to them exactly. because you know, the, the messaging is so important and knowing why you do it, who you're doing it for, because they, you want them to find you. I mean, ideally <laughs> they would be like, Hey, we need your help. You know, um, so many companies in our industry are flooded with millennials. Okay. Yeah. That's our, that's cool for one side of the equation. But when you're talking about more substantial companies, talking middle market and above. Yeah they're not going to trust their work to a 20 year old. It's not going to happen. There's not enough experience in the arrow quiver for them. You have to look and sound and talk to talk to talk that they talk. Mm. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. There, it's, it's so fascinating because you, you mentioned you have a direct mail part of the business, the back of the house. I'm curious. I mean, what percentage of what you do is direct mail and sort of that mm-hmm. physical thing? Cause a lot of people, Nowadays, they're like, oh, that stuff's dead. Like, we just do digital ads and blah, blah, blah. Like- I'm glad it's not dead for sure. I mean, it's not it's not what it used to be, quite frankly. In, in, in the early 90s, mid 90s, it was like just a cash machine. You could just mm-hmm. make a ton of money just labeling stuff and sending it out. And then we had the recession, right? So that mm-hmm. took a bit of it. Then the post office is in turmoil. So that took another piece of it. They have no idea what business is like and they can't stop raising rates. So that's taken a bit of it, right? And then we had um, the internet took a huge piece of it. So it's been diminishing. It's a diminishing industry. So when you think about it being a diminishing industry, what happens when the pie gets smaller? You need a bigger piece. Hmm. But we've been very, very fortunate that we have some hugely long-term accounts, 20 plus years. 
Wow. Especially the major corporations, major hospitals, and so forth. Even through changes of administration, we've been able to maintain a relationship. We probably have about a good solid 600 plus clients on the direct mail side. Wow. That are recurring. So wow. that's kept us alive. I mean, this COVID thing took another chunk. That's a whole oh. story altogether. <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're, we're in the process of bouncing back, so it's okay. But direct mail is far from dead. It's different. It's just different. You cannot use it as the be-all and the end-all. It's got to be part of a bigger play. It's got to be part with social media. It's got to be part with uh, OTT, out of home, all the different messaging platforms to reach your audience have to be employed. So we try and take a direct mail campaign and integrate that into a much bigger campaign. And that seems to work very, very well. Yeah. I mean, what's so interesting about, you know, back in the day, like the Sugarman's and the Gary Halberts of the world, you know, the famous magazine ads and direct mail ads where they were talking direct to the customer. Like, you know, if you had an address, yeah, we're going to get you a piece of piece of mail. You may throw it out, but we know it's you, right? Like we know you're, you know, we have a chance. We, we know who the customer is where digital ads and retargeting and social media, I, I don't really know who they are. I don't know who your, you know, the people are. And so I'm curious, have you seen the same thing? Because I personally think there's going to be a, um, I think it's to your point, I think it's a absolutely true. Direct mail is going to change, but I, I mean, I even see more people on billboards and more like, you know, print media and not as much as it used to be, but there seems to be like, it's still effective. And I don't know. Seems like everybody's going back to what they really know. Yeah. The internet was a great play. Oh my God, we could play on this internet electronic thing. Doesn't cost us a damn thing. And we just throw stuff out every day and it's okay. Right. And then you go like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Are my sales up or down? What's yeah. my revenue look like? What's my ROI look like? I might not be spending a lot of money, but what am I making? What's yeah. the cash flow look like, right? So you start to have this examination process that says, hmm, when we used to do direct mail, we would get X reply, right? When we did print, when we did radio, any one of the platforms, they knew what it was. If you go back to the old admin days, right, what did they do? They did print, radio, and TV. And they threw something up there and they just waited for the cash register to ring because that's all you could do, right? Yeah, back and in the day. They didn't really yeah. care where it came from. Right, right, right. Now we got a little bit more sophisticated. We can analyze stuff. So now with the AI and the ability to, to analyze who's going where, who's spending how much time on your site, who's clicking on the URL, it gives you a much better picture and then you could tweak everything. That's the difference, I think, today is that if you add platforms and you know what the what the metrics are supposed to look like. They're all different, obviously, for different campaigns. But if you know what the metrics are supposed to look like, it gives the opportunity to you to change it on the fly. See? So some things you need to put in stone, direct mail, print advertising. Once you commit to them, you're committed to them. But everything else that supports that is is fungible. Interesting. Yeah, because, again... I don't know. I don't know. Well, just full disclosure. And I've talked about this before on the show. I'm not a big fan of digital ads. Just not because I see it as a way you have to have huge money to play to be effective. At least what I've seen in my, my experience. 
and it gets gamed so much and you can do things like, you know, click farms and stuff like that, where you really don't know. I mean, the only thing that really matters is did someone buy? Exactly. Right. Yeah, and that's always what's exactly. matters. Exactly. It's always what's matters. Yeah. Always what, what, what matters. And some of the way, the way they, they're using digital ads is so disruptive now. Disruptive used to be a good word. Now it's just annoying. You can't go anywhere without seeing seven ads above the copy you're trying to read. It's, it's just counter, in my mind, it's counterproductive. All right. There are other ways to reach your audience, right? Uh, we love to do geofencing now. All right. If we have a client who's going to an event or a trade, well, back in the days of trade shows, you geofence a trade show and you get every like person entering that geofence to see your client's stuff, right? Mm. That's mm. specific. That's targeted, right? Mm. But the ones that they throw up the clickbait now, the crazy mm. headlines, it's mm-hmm. like looking at National Enquirer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, no, you're right. Stupid. No, no. I know. I would I would like, you know, when we'd walk in grocery stores, like, you know, I would I would walk, you know, you walk by, of course, the, the checkout stand. It's got all those oh, magazines, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Um, and there is some things to be learned from them. Don't get me wrong. Cause they really like, you know, grab your attention, but you got to deliver <laughs> on the hook. Because <laughs> If you don't deliver, I mean, I'm just going to be like, no. And I think that's what's sort of missing with this algorithmic generated ads. And I mean, I remember some clients, we would sit there and, and like, you know, the algorithm would generate hundreds and hundreds of ads. And then we would do tests and these tests were like, oh, well, this is 1% or 2% better. And it's sort of like aggregating and doing AI or whatever. And I just would step back and be like, is this really worth it? Like, I want to directly talk to the customer. I mean, that's why I really like email. Yeah. That's why I really like SEO, you know, tr- kind of tr- the traditional like sales page kind of thing. Because I want people to find me as, yeah. you know, hey, I'm looking f- to solve a problem. I don't necessarily want to be like you said. Excuse so, me, like in your face, in your face, in your face. Yeah. So I think many of the times these digital ads re- rely on inbound, right? I think what I'm hearing from you is you much prefer outbound. You prefer to deliver your message to the target audience in a more concise and precise way. So you're not one of those people that are just destroying their days, throwing crap against the wall. Yeah, I don't like it at all. I don't think it works. I mean, I agree. My, I agree. 100%. I agree. I agree. But you know, when a client comes in and sits down and says, well, what about this, 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 and this, how many times are you going to sell them? It's full of crap. Don't bother. <laughs> you know, after a while, they're going to go, wait a minute, I came for your help and you're telling me not to do it. Well, yeah. I think that's a value. I think as a professional, I think that is a value. Why do they come? Why do you go to a lawyer? Why do you go to an accountant for their yeah. professional advice? Yeah. You listen to it. You homogenize it. Yeah. And then you make a decision. So we've kind of we've kind of uh, perfected the knack of telling clients, no, <laughs> if you want us to be your expert. Let us be your expert. Yeah. Don't ask us to do something your nephew would do or your cousin's girlfriend's brother-in-law can do. Don't ask us about that. Don't ask me to build a 12 cent website because I'm not going to do it. It's right. not going to be good. It's not going to be credible. It's not going to be contemporary. You can go on any of these platforms, build your own, go ahead, have a good time. Yeah. But when it doesn't work, here's my phone number. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of hard to do that sometimes. I mean, 
I think entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs just starting out when they're trying to get product market fit, they're trying to figure out if anyone loves their thing, they literally will take any bad deal. Um, and, and some of that is okay. Don't get me wrong, right? So you got to learn. I always like to say, sometimes you got to learn the lessons the hard way. I could tell you, you know, crazy uncle Jari and, and crazy uncle Greg can tell you till we're blue in the face, all the mistakes we've made. Again, you've probably made more than me, but you know, like, oh, easy, you're a little no, easy, easy. <laughs> but you know, you listen to, to crazy uncle Jari and crazy uncle Greg, right? We can tell you until we're blue in the face, but until you get that brick hit in your head and yeah. you fail a little bit and you're like, oh, that's what you meant. So here's a question for you. So way back in the day when you were beginning. Yeah. You took the low-hanging fruit, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had to make a living. Yeah, had to. Had to eat. Had to All eat. right. So that's not unusual. That's pretty typical. Yeah. And quite frankly, I'm going to raise my hand and say we did the same thing. Yeah. Don't forget, we were a printer and a mailer predominantly. Yeah. Right. Until about 2009, 10, when the recession hit, yeah. we took a look at the direct mail side and said, wait a minute, if we stick only with this, we're going to be gone in five years. So we need to we need to change our business model. So now, what would what did that mean? Back in that day, the printing industry was telling their their uh, members to become a market solution provider. What did mm. that really mean? It meant you took the guy off the press, you put him on the phone, and he was going to tell you how to do marketing. Mm. Right? You know that was never going to work, right? No. no. So <laughs> I said to, I said to the team, I said, listen. We're going to change. We're going to become a marketing agency, but we're going to do it correctly. We're going to hire people who have skills. That made the lift very heavy because I had no revenue against those skilled people. So we had to like steal all the cash flow to support the change in the business. And that took a good three and a half years for us to do that. But it was the right thing to do because now I can hold my head up and say, no, no, no. We're not a printer and a mailer. We're an integrated marketing company. And we have all the skills that we need to do your job, Mr. Customer. Yeah. It was different. It was very difficult to do. Believe me when I tell you that. Uh, So we're into the the marketing game probably (sighs) 10 years now. Mm. You know, and and our business model is such that we're proud of what we do. We've got some good credentials. We've got some good projects under our belt. We're doing some work with public companies now. So, but the beginning was very difficult, very difficult, you know, but everybody's got to learn. That's where your dues are paid. You know, I totally agree with you on that for sure. It's uh, again, like there's some things people you can read in a book and people can tell you, but until you experience it to really solidify what it means. Exactly. I agreed with that a hundred percent. And I'm not a great reader. Believe me, I've read certain books, you know, the E-Myth I've read, Who Stole Move My McCheese and, you know, My Iceberg is Melting. I've read all of those because they were easy. They were small books. <laughs> yeah. And my brain was able to capture them. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, believe me. And I fall asleep when I read. So it takes me like a long time to read a book. So don't, please don't suggest a book for me to read. Uh, I was, no, no, I was going to say you could read my Entrepreneur Ethos book. but That I'll do. But we're we're living it right now. This is exactly what it's about, right? How to how to educate. You no, know, that's why. That's industry. exactly why I started my Ask a CEO interview show. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Why? Because over the years, I must have talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and I've learned more stuff from those conversations with CEOs about how to run a business. Because yeah. you got to remember, when I came into this business, I had no P and L experience, no balance. I had no idea what they were. 
forget about running. All I knew was what my father told me from his eighth grade education. Spend less than you bring in and you'll always be fine. <laughs> uh, and I've been need. running the business that way ever since. It was so far so good. We're here yeah. almost 30 years later. Yeah. Well, it's just so fascinating because, yeah, that those simple heuristics kind of, you know, I wouldn't call them old wives tales, but just like the common, common sense, common sense says, right. More in than out, you know, the basics. The yeah. Very, very basic. You boil it all down. Yeah. That's what it is. I had an old time client told me one time, if you know 1% more than your clients, you're in business. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. I, I try to keep ahead of them at 1% every day. <laughs> exactly. 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 So you mentioned your show, you have a podcast called Ask a, a CEO. Um, how has that been for fostering leads? You know, Very gen- well. And gen- I got to tell you why. I'm, I'm Like I said, I'm not the brightest bulb in the back. We started it in 2017 and it mm-hmm. was a print version. Mm-hmm. I would send friends of mine who were CEOs a list of questions, answer a few of these questions and send them back to me. And we created a nice page on the website and everything. And it was all pretty. They got the headshot. They got the bio. They got the answer to the questions. And then we were fortunate to get an, an interview with one of the top executives in our region, Michael Dowling. He runs Northwell Health Systems, which is yeah. a 23 hospital health yep. system, 61,000 employees yep. and whatever. And he yeah. thought it was supposed to be a video interview. <laughs> and I said, okay, I guess we're going to do this video. So we took a camera crew. We went up and we interviewed him. He was the most generous guy in the world with his time and his yeah. answers. And everything he gave us was gold. I had almost two hours worth of film. I couldn't trash any of it. So yeah. we created something called Mondays with Michael. And it started to get traction. Wow. Right. So that was that was the mindset. But my problem was is I could only have local people come into our little green screen studio that we created, mm-hmm. which was fine. I had a really nice play. And then COVID hit. Yeah. Now I'm at home. And I'm going like, oh, man. Luckily, I had found Zoom. Mm. So I said, mm-hmm. all right, let me see how this works. And I learned a little bit about it. And I started interviewing, again, CEOs in our region about their experience with COVID. This was like right in the beginning. What did mm-hmm. you do? How did you make the change from mm-hmm. being at work? And it was great. It was like 25 interviews. And I, I produced it as the, uh, the COVID Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So that was really the baseline for what Ask a CEO is now. Uh, we produce it as a podcast and as a video. So mm-hmm. I record the video at the same time we do the podcast, uh, which gives my, my guests double play, double mm-hmm. exposure. They love it. Yeah, I think we're this week, I believe, is the one year anniversary for the video podcast version. Wow. And to tell you the truth, I'm having a great time. We've had we've had guests from all over the world. We have wow. guests from London. We have guests from British Columbia. I have one booked from Manila. And I got I'm hoping there's a guy from Australia who's interested. So I'm hoping. And what we're trying to do is bring the stories of CEOs mm-hmm. to everybody else. What's the journey? What did it take for you to get to where you are running this major company now? Who are you? How do you run the company? What do your challenges look like? How do you handle challenges? So it's a really nice conversation with CEOs. And guess what? On the business side, guess what? If I call them up tomorrow, they're going to take my call. Yeah. I'm past all the gatekeepers. Yeah. 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 Well, you've given them value. You've got to know them, you know, 
that's that's what I found with this podcast. You know, my oh, my yeah, my goal is to educate and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs by interviewing entrepreneurs that I find interesting that reach out and whatever. And yeah. I found similar thing as a because one of the things with business development that a lot of times entrepreneurs don't actually understand, especially if you're in new in the process, like you're getting a new product and you're trying to get things going. <clears throat> one, you don't know what you don't know. You never do until you start rolling. I think you, you've you actually said a little bit about that, um, what your journey, but more importantly, you just can't hire a salesperson or somebody to go sell for you or do communications for you. You in the beginning as the founder of the entrepreneur, the CEO, you are the company, quote unquote, You're, you are not the company. It's not who all of who you are, but the outward facing people get to, need to get to know you. And it, cause it's all personal interaction, it's all personal branding. I mean, it, yeah, I, I just wrote a piece about that and, it, and it's really about, you're not doing your company a service. If you don't have a personal brand, hmm. you are the face of the company to the public, whether hmm. you like it or not. I mean, yeah. CEOs who are introverts that have a problem with that because they don't want to be out in front. You're a, you're a PR guy. You know how much you want your CEOs to be out in front. I, I want the them talking all the time. <laughs> exactly correct. So for me to do it, it's easy because you could tell I'm I'm not type, you know, I'm a challenge for words here. <laughs> I think it's a good thing for CEOs to understand that they need to be part of the brand. The company can have its own brand, but the CEO needs his own personal brand. What's he like? What's he, what's he into? What's his philanthropic uh, goals? Uh, what does he think about employees? What do you think about social issues? Well, you got to be careful with that nowadays. Yeah, right? a little bit, but, but I but, think you're right, though. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people have to know who you are. Who are they buying? In our business, they're not buying a tchotchka. They're not buying yep. a widget, right? Yep. They're buying the people who they're going to work with. 100%. And you as the CEO are generating, you're making the rain by being out there and having those people contact your company for the services that they need. So if they don't trust you, they're never going to trust your company. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and technical CEOs have the hardest time with this because, as you know, I'm sure. I try and avoid interviewing them. They're hard. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I interviewed a guy that was like interviewing the grass growing. It was so bad. <laughs> oh, it man. was so bad. I know. And, and and it's funny because if you talk about technology and platforms and all the gobbledygook stuff, like I have a degree in, in electrical engineering, so I, I understand all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a geek at heart. When if you talk about that, it's like all of a sudden they blossom into this like, wow, like you really have something to say. But when it shifts towards the business, which is what people buy, they don't buy your tech. They buy solution to a problem. They want to get to know you. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Correct. What do you mean? What do you mean? I have to talk to people. <laughs> I have this great product. Why can't we just use that? I well, yeah. the guy who came up with a really wonderful product, really timely, necessary very good for the community, good for the environment, good for everything. And I'm telling you, it was like watching the paint dry. Yeah. That was so bad. It's so hard. Bad. You got to learn. I mean, I don't know who put him in, who told me he needed to do an interview, but whoever did, didn't do him a favor. Yeah. You know, it's like these commercials where you see the, the CEO of, of, with car dealerships or whatever 
and they're the ones that are out talking to the public and they're just like the worst. Yeah. Why do you, didn't anybody tell this owner you're not the person to go in front of the camera? Didn't anybody have the honesty to tell him, no, Charlie, listen, you suck. Don't do this. <laughs> they clearly didn't hire someone like me or do media <laughs> or training. Me. Yeah, or you, right? I'm a little like, bit more genteel than that, but we're having a nice conversation. Well, and but I mean, honestly, like the honest answer is the one that's going to serve people the best. I mean, you know, there's certain things I am not good at and I know it and I have to augment and I have to like, you know, I actually am bad at talking to people. I'm actually a highly functional introvert. I do this podcast to practice talking to people. I know it sounds silly, but I have to practice this. I have so to like, like so get far, nervous. So yeah. Well, thank you. I'm going to give you an A. An A. I you appreciate got an that. A. You the A. <laughs> I, pre- I really appreciate that mm-hmm. because like, I know I have to do it. I mean, even in business development for my own business and even the startups I was at, I was mostly the technical guy. So I'd be like, I'll build anything, not a problem. But then I had to talk about it. Then I got good at talking about the technology. And then I'm like, well, heck, this sales process, this business development process, I have to get comfortable with this because I could build the best thing in the world. And if I can't sell it, is it really the best thing in the world? No, it's really not. Well, it could be. It could be. You could just be the worst salesman. Yeah. And so, but but I think to your point, it's like, oh, as a CEO, as the leader of an organization, your company, your group, your whatever, you need to be the one to explain why I have to, why I can trust you. Exactly. Why I should do business with you. That is so true. And, and, you know, the Ask a CEO interview series allowed me to bypass gatekeepers, which is probably one of the biggest obstacles we have as we're trying to reach targets. Mm-hmm. Right? Who are you yeah. dealing with? The COO, maybe if you get that high up the ladder, maybe you're dealing with the COO, right? If you're yeah. lucky, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if I call up one of my past alumni, first of all, they're going to remember me. Second of all, either they're going to pick up the phone or they're going to give me the right person to talk to. Yeah. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a rocket science, but it makes all the sense in the world. And if I'm hitting my head against the wall, trying to use all the other, it be to be marketing is hard, it right? Is. It's, it's very, hard. Very so hard. if I'm hitting my head against the wall, trying to get to CEOs, what better way to do it than to talk to them directly? Yeah. Well, and add value too. I think the other thing, especially with the podcast medium and the video medium, and especially, I mean, you sound like just a curious person like me. I love to just talk to smart people that have got experience that I don't have. In fact, I like talking to anyone that could give me some insight because I'm like you. I I read a lot. I love to read and I write a lot of books, but I I do get a lot of my knowledge from talking to people. So because like I can ask a question, I can follow up. I can't do, I can't follow up in a book, right? Like, I mean, that'd be kind of cool, but you know, like as we talk, I'm like, oh, I should ask him about this. I should ask him about mm-hmm. that. And so what are some of the things that you've actually been learning through these discussions with, with these CEOs? What what are some of the nuggets that maybe some of our uh, younger one, entrepreneurs? One of the things that seems to be consistent through all of the interviews is the respect for the employees. Hmm. They understand that without the employees, they don't have a business. Hmm. And they yeah. treat them like gold, at least the ones I've spoken to. And I asked that question. I asked them about their culture. Hmm. What's your culture like? How did, how did you go about building that? And it, it really all comes down to that, right? Hmm. So 
Mike Dowling said, culture eats strategy for lunch. Oh, yeah. So if you don't have a, a culture, you can't build upon it. People are not going to trust you as the leader, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be the leader. And that's one of the things I hear over and over. I hear some really smart people with some great ideas about business. Mm-hmm. But when you boil it down, that's bedrock. Mm-hmm. That is absolute bedrock. Surround yourself with smart people, smarter than yourself. Have respect for them and listen to their opinions. Don't take your ego to work. Yeah. And I, you know, there's lots of different things they talk about. They talk about their own health, well-being, their own life balance, all of that esoteric stuff. Everybody has a different take on it. Hmm. But when it comes to running their businesses, and these are CEOs of substantial businesses, we're talking, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 million size. Yeah. I talked to one guy who built the Saudi Arabian stock exchange. You wouldn't know. You go have a beer with the guy. He was such a natural guy, right? But there again, it was trust. Mm. My people need to trust me, and they need. I need to respect them. Mm. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time, so there's not a lot of new stuff they're going to throw at me, you know, just because I lived it. Not that I learned it. I lived it. Mm. And, and that's probably the one that sticks with me the most from the conversations I have. And many of them are just, they're they're so philanthropic. Oh, my good God. It's something you always want to tell CEOs. Listen, you got to be community-minded. you got to give back. I don't have to think about it. They're telling me. So many of them have their own nonprofits, their own foundations, their own special causes that they support through the company. That's a wonderful thing to know that that's out there. And and corporate executives are not monsters. Okay. You would think in some of the political talk these days yeah, that they are the evil people. They're not the evil people. They're there for the How many times do you have to see what they do? Forget yeah, about yeah. the real political stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about community needs, education, child care, yeah, yeah. things like that. They're there. They're there. They're always there for a good, uh, you know, a check for to support a, a, non, a local nonprofit. So there it's, you know, I got to tell you, Jerry, talking to these CEOs is my passion. My day job is great. I love my day job. I'm never going to get out of here. But talking to CEOs, it's just, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I go way too long every show. <laughs> well, I mean. Kind of like yeah. we're doing now. <laughs> no, this is great. You're going to have to cut it. this in a couple of versions. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to listen to this when they see the clock come up and say, (laughs) yeah, what? Well, no, I mean, just so such great wisdom. I mean, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, beforehand about, you know, you're on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast in San Francisco. And, you know, there's a lot of big companies here that are leaving. A lot of tech companies are leaving. Um, You know, one 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 company that's not leaving that's been here and there's actually it's called Salesforce Tower, this massive tower. Uh, Mark Benioff is the CEO. Um, and I have, I run around in some of the political circles and nonprofit circles. Cause I just think it's absolutely important to give back and support your community. And I can't tell you how many times I run into his name, giving money to something or other. And I think as part of the, the show and live in the ethos, the entrepreneur ethos, it's about community and building this resiliency. Right. And, and, and I think that's so important. And a lot of the younger folk that are get into the game of entrepreneurship. Okay. When you're young, you got to learn a new a bunch of stuff. I get that. Right. Like you don't literally know what you don't know. Um, 
but this solid ethic and ethos of community, like where you are and what you do matter to the people around you is one of the reasons you have to learn how to talk to people. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Back in the days when we had that little two, two storefront shop, the previous owner was a member of Rotary. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So he invited me to go to Rotary. Yeah. So I went to Rotary and I found out what they were all about. And I was a Rotarian for a lot of years. I just interviewed one of the Rotarians that I met way back when, a guy named yeah. Robbie Dono. He started at the Manhasset Rotary Club in 19, I don't want to go on, 19, no, what the hell year was it? It was a really long time ago, 45 years ago. And he came up with an idea to bring kids in from third world countries to get them heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 45 years later, they've done 37,000 operations on kids with congenital heart diseases. Yeah. But now they've installed units in different countries that can do those operations there as opposed to bringing them back to the United States. Amazing. Started with one child from Nigeria, and now look what happened. And that's from one man's brain. And he was a garbage man, by the way. That was his business. And he'll tell you right now, I'm a garbage man that does heart surgery. Yeah. But it's it's just um, those many, many stories like that. Many, 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 many. Yeah, and I agree with you that the narrative gets lost in the the actual good that entrepreneur and business people do. And of course, they're bad people. They don't always get get the credit. No. But they're they're the foundation of a lot of it. I I belong to, I was on the board of something called the Long Island Community Foundation, Mm -hmm. which is the Long Island arm of the New York Community Trust, which is a $3 billion trust fund. Mm -hmm. Right. So at LICF, they would receive grant requests, right? Mm -hmm. And I would be on the board of the, the grant committee, right? And we would review all of these grants um, and understanding what these nonprofits were really like and what they were trying to do. Although we couldn't grant everybody, we granted the best. And that was just very fulfilling. Yeah. I wrote an article one time said, I gave away $536,000 this morning. What did you do? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It was yeah. the best part was I like, giving away other people's money. So I love Yeah, it. yeah, that's even better. <laughs> that's the best, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and to to you know, I I like that you sort of brought up the political environment that we're in right now. And I think it's been I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't like the way discourses on both I don't care what part of the spectrum you're on in terms of political views. I think fundamentally as, as business people, as entrepreneurs, we need to look out for our community. That's what we do. That's what we try to do. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. But I think we got to raise up those voices of people that are doing good. I mean, yeah, there's bad people in every community. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying we're all perfect and we're all like, you know, no. you know, these saints and, or whatever. And I'd ask you what you were smoking if you thought. Yeah, because we're not. Because like every, there's a distribution, like everything. Like, I think you can apply that heuristic and that methodology to everything. But part of the reason I want it, I'm doing this show is to sort of like, one, put those voices out there about, hey, this is a very noble pursuit. It actually is entrepreneurship and business are one of the real powerful changes for good mechanisms. Absolutely. I think it's been proven time and time again. Do we have some work to do? Of course, we have some challenges with this, you know, 
people are suffering because of COVID. There's all sorts of disparity. I mean, it's, it's, there's a nightmare, you know, there's, there's been a nightmare a, scenario. There's always a nugget of truth mm-hmm. in 100%. both sides of the equation. Right. So if you take that nugget of truth and you build a real conversation around them, not ranting and raving and calling names, if you build a real conversation mm-hmm. and you make specific points to support your point of view, like the old debate clubs, right? Yeah. Yeah. If we could just return to those days, we'd all be better off because we've come so, so divided. It's almost like you cannot have a conversation any longer, which is, which is really a bad, bad thing. It's um, crazy. You know, I, 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 I do have an alter ego and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but that's where my political yeah. comes out. But when I do write that stuff, it's I'm trying to make points. Mm. I'm not trying to rant. I'm not calling anybody names. I'm right. just saying this is my point of view. Yeah. Make it for what it's worth and do what you want, what you will with it. But it's that's the conversations I would like to have, not the rancor that we have. Now, you can almost if you're on one side of the street and you say black, the other says white, if you say green, it's blue. It's just what crazy. are you going to do with that? Yeah, really. I, I don't think you can do anything. And I think. <clears throat> and, and I think it's particularly when it comes to us as entrepreneurs trying to build our businesses, having a voice and a say and a personal brand, a lot of people are worried. And I'm and I can see their point, like, oh, I'm a certain type. I get labeled to be X or I get labeled to be Y, which, you know, my my fiance now, Minerva, always says, everyone's a this and a that. Like it, you're not just one thing. And I think the debate now, and, and this is actually for all the young entrepreneurs that are listening, and well, actually any entrepreneur, right? When you're communicating your point of view, and you're doing it both for your company and your personal brand, and you're hesitant about trying to like have a dialogue and a conversation about really touchy, sticky situations, right? As your PR professional, as your publicist, <laughs> as your publicist and proxy, right? <laughs> um, what you said is absolutely true. It's never personal. It's about an idea and always try to take that idea to the highest next level and always assume the best intentions. Even if you know people are going to be like, oh, you're conservative. You like blah, blah, blah. You're like, hold on, stop. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the next level up from that because these are fundamental problems we have in society, fundamental issues of challenges, struggles. You could say, like, say you want to talk about poverty, okay? Poverty is a bad thing. Childhood poverty, bad thing. We all agree. It's just how are we going to solve it? And people have different, well, hey, right? Different. You're 100% correct. You know? And I've been chastised many times from my team here. Greg, yeah. you can't post that. <laughs> but it was important to me to post it. I'm yeah. not, like I said, I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just going to make a point. Right. And then I get out of the conversation. I don't ever let a thread go back and forth. I don't do that. Right. right? But poverty, poverty has been with us since the beginning of time. Yeah. We are not going to cure it. Stop kidding yourself. You're not going to cure it. So what do you have to do? You have to help the people who are poor. Yeah break out of that. And you're not going to do that by just throwing money at them. They need help psychologically, economically, spiritually, the whole ball of wax. Yeah. Right. If it wasn't for black grandmothers who are church going, God fearing women, that whole demographic would just explode. Right. 
that's the glue right now that's holding that together because there's so many societal issues that are impacting the communities of color that are destroying the family. If though if we lose those God-fearing black grandmas, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And, and that's said from a white guy whose parents came from New Orleans. Right. Yeah. So I'm not I'm I don't have a racist bone in my body, but I can see the situation is something that people are looking at in the wrong way, yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm only one person. Well, and, and I think it's, I mean, it's, it, I'm glad you brought that point up because, you know, I may disagree with your opinion on that, but I know it's from a place of compassion and of understanding and trying to figure out, well, how do we solve this fundamental problem? Just, just fundamental, like I work with professional athletes. They always, most of them come from poor communities. Uh, and when I go to those communities to, for them with their foundation to help the community, like I'm usually the only white guy in the room, right. just full stop. Right? right. And what's interesting is that I don't know what I don't know, but when I go into community and help them, you know, they're my client, they're my boss. Like, how are we going to solve these problems? We look at it from a place of compassion and help and how can we make, you know, these kids better. And I look at some of these kids and to be honest, I'm like, that could have been me. That literally could have been me. I could have been born to a different family, a random act of nature. And I'm there. But you see how this conversation just went between you and I? Yeah. That's the type of conversations that have to happen. Exactly. Not your, not your left wing leaning idiot. Don't talk to (laughs) your freaking conservative Nazi. I don't want to have anything to do. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, you have to have a conversation. You have to have a dialogue with people, a real yeah. one, yeah. not one that yeah. comes from an agenda. Right, right. And I think, I think you know, as again, as entrepreneurs and as business people, where sometimes we have to separate who or who we are from our business, yeah. or yeah. we yeah. may get chastised for saying you know something that's a personal opinion as opposed to the business. And nowadays, it's very toxic, right? It's hard. And again, as PR professional, I constantly have to remind my uh, clients to, to speak truth, go to the ground truth and try to raise it up a level. Like the, the always the highest next level, never go down in the dirt, right? Never, never go down to the level of this chaos finger pointing. It's name calling. It gets, you nowhere. no, you make people mad. They get mad at you. You get mad at them again, case closed. Yeah. And again, and it, it, may, it makes no sense. But what's interesting is people are afraid. And I think it's interesting that that fear can sometimes drive, again, these silos of like, I don't want to talk to the other side. Right. I remember when I was a kid, you know, back in the, you know, back in the eighties, like I went to a school that was integrated, which meant mm-hmm. it bust kids in from the poor side of town into the kind of the rich suburbs. Yep. And there was a lot of tension. I'll be honest. This was not something that was working out very well. But over time, as you got to know people, right, we all kind of went down to the fact that, well, we're all in high school together and we all got to get through it. And we just sort of got to interact in a way that was different. I never would have interacted with. Who's buying a beer? Yeah. Or, yeah, well, back in the day, <laughs> which never, I never did. No, of course not. No, it never happened. <laughs> but it's funny that it's, 
I agree with you. I wish that we could get back to like dialogue of ideas with respect. Remember when we used to have statesmen? In yeah. Yeah. When the aisle was not even there. Yeah. They would go across the aisle every other day to, all right, I'll give you this if you give me that. Yeah. That we need a big dose of that. And that's just not going to happen the way things are today. I, I always say that word statesman is like obsolete now. Yeah. Because yeah. everything is so agenda driven. If you're red or you're blue, there's no yeah. place in the middle. So yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. It's it's disappointing. It's discouraging. Yeah. And seriously, it's frightful no matter which side of the equation you're on. Because you're looking at what's going on and you go, I don't like that. And I don't like that. And, you know, here we are. But yeah. we're only pebbles in the sea and the sand, you know. So we just keep on trucking. Yeah. And keep on trying to to do have these conversations and yeah. do what we feel is right. And I think come from a, I always try to think of it as from compassion. You know, I, I empathy is a bit tricky because empathy implies that you're living someone's experience but not doing anything about what you feel. Whereas compassion, you can recognize, oh, this is a problem. What am I got? What's the action I'm going to take to make it better? That I had to learn this the hard way. I actually learned this when my wife died because. Oh. Yeah, that was four years ago uh, from from leukemia. And I just, you know, when she was sick, I just, I was consumed by, you know, and it broke me, to be honest. I had a drinking problem and drug problem, which I've now solved, but, and now I have a fiance and and I'm, you know, a lot better. And I, I talk about it more and more because I want other men to understand that we sometimes have this, like, I need to fix this. And I get too wrapped up in it, and then I lock up. I seize. I it's can't say okay you know. not to be okay. Yeah, it's okay right. not to be okay. Right. Yeah, and men have the most difficult time in saying, "I'm not okay. I need yeah. help." Yeah, happened to me. Yeah. Happens to a lot of guys. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think that's a little bit part of it about what we're seeing now. Um, I think, especially for the next generation coming up, you know, I think the men coming up are having a real hard time and an identity crisis of what the heck is a man. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, or if you identify as a man, like, like what is this thing? Go, please don't even go down. That let's, <laughs> deal with, let's deal with the men and the women. Let, let's, let's, yeah, let's go and explode. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll try to like, we'll go hit the beachhead on that. Think one about first. that. Think about that. My yeah. father had an eighth grade education. Yeah. He was a big burly guy. And he was the patriarch. The family came to him. If you learn at the foot of a patriarch, you know what a man is. He loves his wife. He loves his family. But that doesn't mean he's a pansy. He speaks his mind and gets everybody in line. Every beating I got was to get me back in line because he saw me going wrong. And he wasn't going to stand by and watch me go wrong. So his eighth grade education was not enough to tell him, hey, guess what? It's not great to beat the kids. Yeah. But that was back in a long, 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 long time ago. And that's the way things were done. And I love my father to death. I just absolutely love him, miss him every day, thank him for every single one of those spankings and beatings and talkings to, because he kept me from going off the deep end. I got close a couple of times, but fear of him brought me back. So it's a very complicated role to be. I have four, I actually have five sons and a daughter now. Um, but worrying about them, I'm very thankful they've all grown up to be great fathers, great dads, 
but you worry, you know, what's the world done to them? What's the world done? You know, mm. uh, people change, people live their lives. They get impacted by the, the world around them. Mm. I have one son who's a correction officer in a max in what they call it. They call it a, um, disciplinary maximum security prison, which means wow. all the bad guys go there. Yeah. Now this is my youngest son. Who's a marshmallow. And I've seen the veneer form on him. Yeah. And I don't like it. Yeah. I but mean, the environment he's in every day. I mean, I think actually excellent point. So imagine that similar environment in these communities that have, that are impoverished that have all of these problems. And then you start to realize oh, wow, I really need to understand the environment people are in in order to come to them, to help them, not tell them what to do, to your point. I think, you know, know, but knowing where someone's coming from, it changes the dynamic because this poor kid or you're, you know, like he's a victim of his environment to one degree. Right. But then how do I help them or whoever, this community? I mean, like- there are several that I've seen of late. Thank you, yeah. God, for social media, because you see some things that you never would understand. Yeah, right. And there are there are people in those communities who see the problem. Yeah. Know what the problem is. Yeah. And they're setting up, how do I want to say this? Mini academies, if you will. Mini tutorials yeah. on what it's like to grow up to be a man. And yeah. not get involved with gangs, and not yeah. get do drugs, and yeah. not be a good gangbanger, right? And they've got the kids wearing ties and being gentlemen and shaking hands and meeting eye contact, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've seen many of those, and the the, the success rate is off the charts, mm-hmm. off the charts. If we could only clone those and institute them in the areas that need it, we'd be so far ahead, so far ahead. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenges we face just generally with humanity. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've always thought about is, okay, well, how do you make better men? Because a lot of the problems in society are caused by men. I mean, not being it, but yeah. Or even just violence towards everything. I mean, we perpetuate a lot of violence. Now, who, you know, you know what I mean? As a man, you need to be the example. The problem is that many of those are missing that example, mm. especially in the communities of color, right? And that's a that's a, just a total travesty, because it was never like that before, ever, ever, ever. It's a, it's a, I don't want to say new phenomenon, but it's it's become progressively a problem in those communities that you really want to help because they are in trouble, mm. right? But how do you do that? You just can't take a man and plop him in there and say, here, here's your daddy. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah, or fortunate enough, I think, to have a a role model who's a man. Yeah, and you you live your brain just creates that persona in your head. What's the limit? What's the limit I can go to, right? Without being uh, losing my own self respect. Yeah, you know it's hard. Yeah, I mean, and and that's I think one part of the challenge. I think there's a lot of confounding problems, but. Oh my God! Yeah, there's too many for us to explore. And well, but I, but I think like way over your schedule. But. Yeah, but but I think the thing to realize, and and this is kind of where I wanted to to end it with you, and I appreciate. I mean, I love just, yeah, I love you it. know, love, love the conversation. But it's it's 
it's this idea that entrepreneurship and business is and can be the great equalizer when communities and those in the communities that want to pursue it are supported and given the opportunity. And I think this is the thing I've seen in communities that are a, a lot of poverty. There's no opportunity. And when there's no opportunity, you get distracted and you get depressed and you get like, there's nothing for me. And the mo- the thing I've seen and found, again, in my limited experience is people need a purpose. And when you have a purpose, no matter what it is, as long as it's a good purpose for your community, then you will work hard to preserve that. And I think that's what entrepreneurs can do. And I think we, it's we always, is always know, flabbergasted me because those pockets are ripe for investment. Oh yeah. Okay. Huge. Absolutely huge. ripe for investment. Huge. And why people didn't go like, look at Detroit. Yeah. Detroit was the top of the world. It was. It was in the toilet. Yeah. Guess what? There's gazillion square feet of buildings just sitting there. Yeah. Vacant. Yeah. Okay. Vacant. Yeah. You got a, you, you got a workforce there. They need training, of course. Yeah. But guess what? So what? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I guess, like I said, we're not going to solve the problems. No, this. we're not. <laughs> but well, uh, if we had I, a cocktail, we might be thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have a cocktail. I'll have a coffee because I don't drink anymore. <laughs> so, but I appreciate I appreciate the offer. So, Greg, well, you know, just the vodka. We've like taken a, a separation agreement for a while. So, <laughs> great. Good for you, Jack. Well, Greg, it's been great talking with you. Thanks a lot. Um, did we talk about any business? Or did yeah, we did. Well, business is life and life is business when you're an entrepreneur. And, mm-hmm. you know, these lessons and these conversations, although, you know, I'm sure some people listening to this will be like, oh, man, why did you? But look, you're going to have to deal with this sooner or later. You What's going on? Listen, you, gonna, be res- you, you can right. only be responsible for the effort. The result right. will take care of itself. Exactly. So exactly. people don't want to listen to us jabber away like we think we know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> then they can turn the channel. I mean, come on, seriously. Yeah. I love talking to you. I come back anytime and continue this conversation. Except and I probably have an agenda because look at what you did to your schedule. <laughs> these are what these are about. <laughs> I am, like you said, the nuggets of gold. I found the nuggets of gold, my friend. It's been I, great fun. I appreciate Great, that. great fun. And like I told you when we started, my kids say I could do 10 minutes on the subject of air. And I <laughs> proved it. Certainly did. Thanks a lot. Stay safe. Oh, Jerry, you too. Thank you, baby. See you later. Be good. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.